0: Welcome to The Gabby Reese Show, where everything is an experiment.
1: 95% of this stuff, my advice would be proper sleep, proper exercise, and proper nutrition. And it's, And it's almost like, you know, if that's a three-legged stool per se, right? If you just have like two of those legs it doesn't really work that well. And if you have one leg, it's really a kind of a wobbly stool in a way. So I think, and and those things kind of, the, the legs are attached, right? You can't have terrible sleep and expect to have reasonable exercise results. And, you know, there's studies that show that people who have bad sleep, for example, like night shift workers is a great example. They tend to have really poor diets and they tend to put on more percent body fat. So. The majority of this stuff, if addressed early, and if people are given the tools, it's totally in their grasp to alter their course moving forward. Not enough people are looking Right. So I think it's not common for you to go to a doc and get like a big hormone panel like I might do, because in the end, it's not often part of kind of a yearly screening or anything like that. So I think it's kind in a lot of ways, it's incredibly important for health moving forward for longevity and health span. It's incredibly important for preventing disease, yet not enough people are kind of looking for it.
0: Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Todd Dorfman. We're talking all about hormones and Dr. Dorfman has a really interesting background. He is a board certified emergency physician who is also trained and certified in age management medicine. And so he worked for a long time in charge of the emergency medical service in Boulder County and then has since opened up his own practice where he helps people either, you know, increase their health, preventative health, and it's all about that that proactive stance. It's using those three pillars. I mean, we hear it all the time. It's sleep, it's movement, and it's our food. And so how you know this can really disrupt or support our hormone system. What I, I really appreciate about Dr. Dorfman is he, he has a really conservative approach. He's gonna look at your blood work and then talk about your lifestyle first, things that we're in control of, maybe some supplements that would support the ways that you're feeling or want to feel. And then take steps from there. He's not a guy who's just going to, you know, put a bunch of pellets in your glutes and say, okay, have a great day. And how we're all so unique. But there might come a time where, hey, we need to do something a little a little more aggressive. He shares what supplements he does like, best ways to balance your hormones. What are some of the big hormone disruptors? And and that's another thing I think that's really important. We live in a time that our air, our water, the stress, all of these things that can really disrupt our health what are the things that we are in charge of let's really drill down on those worry about those and let's acknowledge that these other things exist but it's what are you going to do about it so i really he keeps things very simple and very thorough and uh, i hope you enjoy the show Dr. Dorfman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I have to tell you, uh, this field that you're in is some of our audience's favorite. Yes. You know, whether people are young and thinking, oh, maybe I want to be as strong as possible or have children too. I'm trying not to fall off the hormone cliff. People love to talk about hormones.
1: I I totally agree. I think. There are a couple contributing factors, you know, certainly um, the sort of somewhat aging population in general. And as we get older, we all have hormone imbalances um, that are absolutely addressable, but a lot of people tend not to address them until it's too late. And I think that's why younger people need to start to think about it earlier, because there are several things that we can do through exercise, uh, foods, uh, natural techniques before it potentially way down the road comes to needing to do a medical type of a hormone replacement.
0: And maybe we can progress through age and natural, and then actually to sort of some of the more intense options that are available. I have to ask you, first of all, you studied age management medicine.
1: Yes. Isn't that a ridiculous thing? Title? <laughs> It, the, conceptually, what it really is, really what I tell people, it's really about the concept of health span versus lifespan. Okay. So we want to employ preventative techniques, whether it be cardiovascular prevention, hormone uh, rebalancing, whether it, it has to do with uh, mitigating risk factors that you might have genetically, um, you know, you can't pick your parents, those kinds of things. It's really about addressing disease processes earlier and not allowing those to affect aging again we don't want a bunch of really ill people sitting around taking a bunch of medicine because i can keep them alive we want people who are uh, vibrant and enjoying their life that that's kind of the key to this that's what age management medicine really means
0: why were you interested in that? that i think it's i don't know i think you're you're sort of ahead and now in the sweet spot but where did you did something happen to you or a situation that you sort of thought oh this is what i want to go into
1: yeah well there's there are kind of really two things gabby one one is um, my traditional training is as an emergency physician and trauma physician and i did that for you know 20 some years and it became really evident early on in my career as we were treating people for example with heart attacks who were pretty young in age and as we were dealing with more and more diabetes complications obesity complications um, all of these kinds of things it became really obvious that a lot of these things can be prevented and sometimes our healthcare system isn't set up to perfectly prevent those things so i kind of opened this um, independent practice and i started as a consultant um, really helping people with difficult medical problems and helping people with disease prevention and over the years it kind of morphed into a full-time private practice doing exactly this hormone type management, tons of preventative cardiovascular strategies um, and dealing with difficult disease processes to give people, I guess, really, a you know, really nice health span to really make them feel as good as they can feel with the cards that they are uh, dealt.
0: I don't want to oversimplify things, but the more I have these conversations, it feels sort of like 80% of the deal is in our hands. It is in lifestyle. Is that consistent with when you see people who've maybe through lifestyle, not just genetics and, and obviously there's epigenetics. So I might have stuff in my background, but through lifestyle, I have the opportunity to kind of override that or turn those switches off. But does it, right. is that pretty consistent with what you see? It's sort of, cause I feel like I'm always fascinated. Uh, and we'll get into it sort of the, we are, we are so chemical, so much chemistry that it's almost like sure. once we start on the, the, the not great side of it, like a stressful job and not great lifestyle, that it's almost like our chemistry gets off and then that's how everything unwinds. And that people don't realize that literally 80% ish of some of the things that you're going to see to try to help people, you know, either get healthier or feel better is usually back to lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it's that's a hundred percent true. Um, it's funny, I, w- I was joking a little bit before um, we, we came onto the podcast, um, because as I mentioned, I kind of reviewed some of the concepts or things that we might talk about today. And I was joking. I said, you know, 95% of this stuff, my advice would be proper sleep, proper exercise, and proper nutrition. And it's, and it's almost like, you know, if that's a three-legged stool per se, right? If you just have like two of those legs... It doesn't really work that well and if you have one leg it's really a kind of a wobbly stool in a way so i think and and those things kind of the, the legs are attached right you can't have terrible sleep and expect to have reasonable exercise results and you know there are studies that show that people who have bad sleep for example like night shift workers is a great example they tend to have really poor diets and they tend to put on more percent body fat so yeah you're 100 percent correct the majority of this stuff if addressed early and if people are given the tools it's totally in their grasp to alter their course moving forward
0: so someone is listening and they do have to work at night like they can't control that how do we help them with their circadian rhythm and all of that what do you do because it's it's just like hey i'm a fireman and i have you know we get called and picked up what what are the things, obviously doing movement and, ex, and eating well, but how would you approach that? Because people, we don't live in a perfect world. And um, right. so how, do we, how would someone manage that?
1: Well, it's a complicated problem. And you know the real deep down honest answer is that we haven't found the perfect way to manage that. And if you look at studies comparing um, even lifespan and disease risk in, you know, lifetime night shift, third shift workers versus people that work during the day, you know, they the people that work at night have significantly uh, a lower uh, uh, lifespan and higher disease risk. So we haven't found a perfect way, but but some of the ways that we can mitigate that kind of risk is are the things that we talked about. So you still keep really good sleep hygiene, even though your sleep is at a different time. You have these hormonal surges that are incredibly dependent upon a, a set circadian rhythm, a 24 hour clock. Uh, there are even studies done in cells in pancreatic cancer, for example, that that part of what happens in pancreatic cancer is the cell's 24 hour circadian rhythm gets thrown out of whack. Now, whether that's from the cancer or a cause of the cancer, I have no idea, but the point is there is a fe- effect in all cells in the body with the circadian rhythm there are certain supplements that can help with sleep things like ashwagandha things like melatonin um, magne uh, magnesium supplements uh, can help with sleep gaba gaba which is a receptor type uh, supplement can help with relaxation and sleep and it's all about good sleep because when you sleep you really literally rebalance your hormones secrete certain hormones like growth hormone only at night and then you have a surge of your cortisol in the morning which helps set your sleep wake cycle again so sleep is kind of the key and anything that we can do to help these people get regular sleep uninterrupted sleep we try and do
0: wait i have a you're the perfect person to ask i heard that melatonin is it made like through the eyeballs is this right? Wait, what did I hear? Some weird <laughs> fact. Like no. <laughs> that's, that's why I don't know. Looking through light, looking at sunlight in the morning kind of oh, sets I... the bodies. What it can you tell me the connection now? Cause I need clarity if I'm gonna talk about it at like a dinner party or something.
1: Yeah, sure. Let me let me tell you about melatonin. So melatonin is actually secreted from the pineal gland in your brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not secreted from your eyeballs, if that's what you're saying. But but the the eyeball
0: stimulates the production. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So that's part of the circadian rhythm. That's absolutely right. If you, if you look at data um, on, on sleep and people that sleep really well, and then you speak to sleep experts, one of the keys to setting this melatonin cycle it, it, with the cortisol cycle, which is also really important and we'll get to, but right first thing in the morning, within the first probably 20, 15, 20 minutes when you wake up, you have your surge of cortisol. The studies show that if you can go outside immediately and get sunlight, and these studies were done like in Norway where there's no light, so they used artificial light to stimulate people versus the group they didn't stimulate. If you can go out right away, you you know whether you have your coffee in your hand or you don't have your coffee in your hand, that is one of the prime ways to start to reset your circadian 24-hour clock. And then that leads to a, a secretion of melatonin several hours later about 10, 12 hours later, and there's a small secretion of melatonin. And then a couple hours after that is a big secretion of melatonin. And that's how your body naturally sets it. So you're totally right. It does have to do with sun, but it's, it's obviously sun right when you wake up. And it's most important the first 15 minutes or so.
0: And is it, is it safe to say that if, if we live in a gray area or it's a winter month, we can still go outside and sort of look towards where the light is and we can at least get some benefit?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Yeah. So there's no excuse. yeah
1: you, you just don't wear your sunglasses or whatever it is. I mean, I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. as like 300 and some sunny days a year. So I get a lot of sun um, and it's usually available. But yes, this was even done with artificial lights in some of these Scandinavian countries. Right.
0: So let's start. Let's just start with younger people first. Uh, young okay. adults, maybe they want to keep things at least... Of course, we want to keep it dialed in, but now they're, because they maybe haven't started a family yet and it doesn't, it never occurs to us. I, I, I think most of us, things occur to us when we're not feeling great, but things, when things are running smoothly, what would just be a baseline, you know, sort of conversation about. Is it once a year? Go in, get your blood work done, check things out. Because you know you you probably saw that book countdown, and there's just so many other things now impacting people's overall um, hormonal health. What whether it's it's in the foods, and we're going to get into that. The environment, our stress. We live mm-hmm. in a in a sort of I think more unnatural way. Um, what right. would you say to a younger person just to kind of stay on top of it?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing I I would say is that if you're talking sort of specifically about hormones, Mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe heart disease, heart disease may start much earlier to have some, you know, people would have some concerns potentially, um, maybe even in their late teens or 20s, there may be some signs of heart disease. But hormonal kinds of um, issues or hormonal deficiencies, we really call them hormonal imbalances. And the reason that's important is it's not the total uh, value of each hormone, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, whatever. It's actually the ratio or the balance between those that's so important. And once people get to, for, for women, it's usually a few years around menopause, a few years before menopause and sort of the what we call the perimenopausal period. That's when they tend to get fluctuations in their hormones that, that frequently need to be addressed. And for men, it's some. Uh, there is a male menopause, which is called andropause, as the technical name, and it starts to sort of slowly dwindle around age thirty-five-ish to you know to ballpark. But it's a much slower process than women, so it kind of dwindles down a little bit from the mid-thirties whereas women kind of have, let's say five or six or four years where all the hormones go haywire and then they don't really secrete them anymore. But the time to check in is is sort of around those times regarding hormones. And, you know, maybe one of the best ways to check in is to kind of go through, you know, a checklist of what hormone imbalances or deficiencies cause, you know, Frequently, um, people think immediately with testosterone, for example, in both men and women, people think about libido and sexual function and kind of muscle endurance, muscle recovery, strength, overall fatigue is worsened, for example. Sometimes later into the hormone course, people get, um, they're referred to as as, as sort of night sweats, but they can be hot and cold, flashes, so to speak. And it can be during the day or at night. I mean, it happens in men too. It's not, you know, none of these things are isolated to women. So um, insomnia is a big thing. Women can start to develop mood swings and so could men, but it's always blamed on women. I don't know why it really is a man and a woman thing with hormone imbalance to get mood swings. So the, the, there's sort of a checklist of clinical symptoms, if you will, that you would want to speak to your doctor about if, you, if it kind of hits home with any of those things I mentioned.
0: Maybe we can then go look at some of the disruptors because I think also when we talk about lifestyle, people don't realize, hey, our food... Light, just all all kinds of things, stress um that really impact. So maybe what are the things that we can be completely in charge of and be aware of that can disrupt our hormones? Let's start with food because we we hear sure. you know you, I have three daughters, and you know it was always that thing of how do we give them the foods that all of a sudden they're not going through puberty at ten? Um, exactly. but trying to keep things at bay. So maybe we could just start there.
1: Yeah. No, uh, um, absolutely. I think the big picture on foods, or let's call it nutrition at this point, um, I think one of the things that's super confusing for my patients and probably most people is, you know, are, are any of these different diets or nutritional plans sort of worthwhile or not? And I can tell you that year after year, study after study, the best diet is still a diet that is more Mediterranean ish if you will so it's it's not any processed foods or carbohydrates no fried foods soft drinks you mentioned your you know your daughters it's a big deal um, I don't know how old they are but like in high school you know it's a big deal to drink a lot of diet soft drinks so that they don't put on weight and you know all these sort of things um, are issues enriched flour, processed vegetable oil, soy products, any of those things can really alter hormone balance. And the other thing is, and again, there's different data on this, but organic foods don't have harmful bovine growth hormones or steroids or antibiotics. So Uh, The tricky thing about what I'm saying is that it's probably a little more costly to eat this way. I mean, you have to shop um, at a a nice store and buy healthful foods, but that's really the key because as I mentioned in the three-legged stool concept, lots of these things are tied together. So if your nutrition's poor and then you start to put on percent body fat, for example, that's another kind of hormone disruptor. The more percent body fat, the more estrogen secretion, the more it's out of balance with other hormones. So you can kind of see how it, it, these things really have to go hand in hand.
0: Um, I, you know, I will say this. I always made nothing a taboo with the kids uh, because sure. it's also obnoxious, right? Like l- My husband and yeah. I are relatively healthy, but we're not obsessive, but we, it is sure and it's also like part of our life. So I almost created a strategy where it was like, Hey, in the house, this is what we're eating, but out in the world, I'm not going to make anything taboo. And you find, I feel like with most kids, their palate gets used to kind of what their family gives them. And yeah, sure. When they become teenagers, they might, they love a drive through, but I don't think it's not habitual. Um, So I would encourage people that you know, if you can show them the good example, I feel like they have a tendency to come back to it. They do weird stuff for a couple of years, but I feel like they come back to it or the minute they want to have their skin look good or whatever, but things like, um, you mentioned diet soda or, you know, all these chips and things with a lot of unusual ingredients. Yeah. Besides weight, let's say someone stays slender. This can kind of wreak a little bit of havoc on your on your microbiome and, and, you know, maybe some inflammation, this, this too can really throw yourself, your system out of whack.
1: Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right on the mark. In fact, if you ask like a, let's, let's go back. I keep going back to cardiovascular disease because one of the reasons that I keep going back to it is it's, it's the number one killer of people in the world, right? Is, you know, heart attacks and strokes and probably 70 some percent of people succumb to the, the, those sort of vascular issues. So I was just about to say, if you were, were to speak to like a cardiologist or preventative cardiologist, that some of the foods that you just mentioned would be like hundred percent off the list, right? Mm-hmm. French fries are probably number one off the list. Depending on the type of oil they're in, they can also cause you know other hormone abnormalities. Um, they cause you to secrete more insulin, which is a hormone. They throw off your gut um, biome, as you mentioned. Your gut biome is tied into. Several other things, um, and in there are even studies that show it's tied into Alzheimer's disease, which is becoming more and more of an issue as we move forward. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I th- I think if you can set the precedent for your kids, and I tried to do that. I have three boys; they're a little older, and um, you know, in their mid twenties, and they're all really healthful leaders because we were healthful leaders as kids. But you're right; I didn't go to school and take away the birthday cake.
0: <laughs> I know, because I, then they, that becomes a thing. Believe me. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dorfman, before we move on from it, you mentioned that for young people, even in their teens, they that there were some cardio, that the cardiovascular situation could even show up sooner. Yes. How does that show up in such a young person? The genetics or?
1: It, it, it's really, um, you mentioned the word uh, before epigenetics. And I think it's, you know, to me, that's sort of a combination of, you know, what, genes you were born with, you know, you can't pick your parents, you have a set of genes and that's your kind of, uh, 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 it all goes from there. And if you decide to be a chain smoker and, you know, drink alcohol all day and never exercise any French fries, you will be a different person than if you eat healthfully, uh, exercise and kind of start at a teenage as a teenager i should say um with with sort of these lifestyle changes as they're generally referred to you know good sleep habits good exercise habits good nutritional habits that's really what i'm referring to you can start those things early on and prevent a tremendous amount of disease moving forward even if you know everyone uh, your parents and grandparents all have terrible heart disease for example
0: there's a there there was an interesting and I'm sure you've seen this you just said you have three sons that there's a time period when they are adolescents where it's natural that their clock gets set later they want to stay up later and sleep longer so I think yeah. too that it's like we have them the comfort of knowing where we're trying to to end up but there're these kind of moments in time where our you know kids will go through these periods and I think as parents we go what's wrong with them but there's parts of that too which are pretty natural
1: yeah, at, oh, absolutely. And in fact, there's some school districts, and probably in California, also moving the start. Time back a little bit. I don't know how that is for parents. My, like I said, my kids are past that, but ultimately that's the right thing to do. If you look at their sleep-wake cycles in that sort of to those teenage years and when they're starting their initial hormone secretions, that's the time when sleep is even more important. And generally speaking, they don't like to get up that early and it's
0: probably more healthy if they don't actually, but that's how it rolls. Yeah. Right. Our system isn't set up that way. Correct who's coming to see you? Is it, is it people? So you have the preventative side and then you have people who are not feeling great and they they're dealing with probably some serious issues. So let's say your patients come in and they they're more on the preventative or increasing health side. They're being proactive. Yes. And maybe they're at a time when the hormones, like you said, they're starting to pack their bags a little bit or things are changing. (laughs) Yeah what are the steps that generally, so you take a look at the, at the three, you know, sort of lifestyle things. Is there, is there, a do you ever see people who, you know, people get so nutty and obsessive and maybe they're overtraining and putting a weird amount of stress on their system that way. That's also impacting their health. I'm just curious. Cause I think sometimes when people get a little older and they start to freak out about getting older, cause it is so, it's strange. I mean, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. they, they maybe go overboard. Have you seen also even where people, it's like, Hey, you actually need to train less. Uh, yeah. so let's, let's talk, let's go to the sharp end of the stick. Let's say someone who comes in and there, it's just too intense. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah. Well, um, and this ties into your initial question also. Well, the first thing I really have to do with something like that is get some data on them. So I do run a big panel. I call it sort of my baseline panel. So if you were coming to me as a new patient, I would run my female baseline panel. And it really looks at a number of Uh, data points. um, A a large section of it is hormones, the hormones that are secreted from your brain, like follicle-stimulating hormone. It looks at your thyroid hormone, looks at your cortisol levels, which are from your adrenal gland function. It looks at your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Um, It looks at your insulin um, so I'm looking at a number of hormones just to pick that section of the lab panel out. I'm obviously also looking at your kidney and liver function and electrolytes and blood counts and all those other things, uh, lipids, obviously. And then I I at least sit down in my practice sort of behind the scenes. And at the same time, you have you will have filled out a questionnaire. And that questionnaire kind of includes, are you having any symptoms or not? But it includes a training uh, schedule. It includes a, a nutritional, a dietary you know, schedule. I basically say, what are you putting in your mouth all day long for the next you know, five days or whatever, those sorts of things. And I kind of sit behind the scenes and I come up with this big analysis and I sit down with the patient. And that's where we start to pick it apart. And very frequently, especially in Boulder. So in Boulder, Colorado, as you probably know, it's like the, the mecca of people working out. Or
0: charging. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, everyone here, no one here admits they have any illnesses and everyone is, you know, biking, swimming and running all day long. Right. So I have a lot of people that overtrain and something you might not know. This is a great example. And there are studies regarding this is that endurance athletes actually have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. They have higher levels of calcifications. We don't know if it's necessarily leads to more deaths yet, but clearly they have more vascular disease. So I'm very careful with all my patients, even if they come in and say, you know, you know, there's someone of of your uh, uh, athletic caliber and they are, you know, 20 or 30 years older. Trust me, they are working out just as hard and they're trying to feel just like they felt when they were 20. And I see that a lot. So we have to make adjustments, and sometimes those adjustments are simple lifestyle changes. Like, okay, you know, you sent me your, uh, you know, fitness tracker information your heart rate's not um, ever going down to a baseline, your heart rate variation is too high, you know. and I and I usually get help because there's also a lot of expert training people here. So I usually refer them to someone who I trust to help guide them a little bit. Um, I do some preventative cardiovascular testing and I kind of come up with a whole package to say, how can we most mitigate risk moving forward? And a lot of times that has to do with um, a supplement program because as you mentioned earlier before i throw you know prescription medicines at people very frequently i'm using natural type products fish oils, for hormone imbalance, um, and also for cardiovascular uh, protection. Sometimes I'll use, you know, certainly things like vitamin D3, vitamin B12. Vitamin D3, by the way, is one of the precursors or or, um, ingredients to make estrogen and progesterone. Uh, DHEA is another ingredient to make testosterone. So I check all of those levels and things, and I kind of come up with a plan We talk about sleep for sure. And then we keep checking in on the plan and moving forward.
0: And I I love that idea. I think, you know, the, the thing is, is once people sort of get dialed in, the supplementation for me is like usually after you get, okay, am I sleeping? Am I moving enough? And am I eating, you know? sort of better than I'm not. And then that's when that stuff can really support you. And actually that is how I met you is I myself have been taking a brand that I, I really appreciate it. First of all, because when I can take something that, um, there's no downside, right? Like if I, that's for me a really nice start. And the fact, so, so I met you through a brand called rebalance and, um, I took the, I took the supplement for quite a few months before I in fact work with them. But Mm -hmm. what I appreciated was if you say to me, Hey, there are these 15 herbs and they're really going to be great for cortisol management. I can't, I'm not going to be able to pull it. And so maybe you, you could even break down sort of what the intention and the goal was in the formulations for the morning, the evening, and then the, the sleep or the, you know, the, the yeah, the dream, dream catcher yeah mm-hmm. the dream catcher because I, what i love about this is that it was created out of a need that there you know the founder's wife was going through some things and so through this process right. they themselves so let's talk about cortisol because I, people, are, they're not sure. It's like, I need it low. It's like, well, no, you want it high in the morning. Cause if, when you want to go out and kick ass and get it done and do all the hard stuff, you kind of want to do that when that's high and you're in the right frame of mind and you're ready to go. But maybe we, you could just talk about the thinking behind the formulation and the support for or the management of cortisol. And so how that would impact us hormonally.
1: Yeah, I I'd be happy to. Um so the the rebalance health system is really um a series as you mentioned of uh three um uh lozenges uh lozenges for lack of a better term and that's a really important piece right off uh, the bat because the difference in how you give people medicines is really important. So you can um, inject them, obviously, you can inject in their muscle, in their subcutaneous fat, you can give intravenous medicines, you can give pills, of course, um, and all of these uh, different sort of delivery methods, if you will. Um, the lozenge delivery method, and we've done some studies um, on that particular delivery method, it significantly increases the absorption and maintains uh, the level of the products much better than in the studies, our leading competitors that we checked. And that's because your stomach acid really has a lot to do with uh, absorption and certain things can't really survive well in your stomach acid. A really good example, I think will hit home with people is vitamin B12. As we get older, it is really hard to absorb vitamin B12. You have these hormones in your stomach and the acid in your stomach, you just can't absorb them. But when you give a lozenge a sublingual b12 it gets the same blood levels as if i was giving you an injection every two weeks or a month so so delivery system super important so that's the first thing that kind of went into uh the the rebalance health system and then the design is really throughout the day on a 24-hour kind of circadian clock the design is to lower uh, cortisol levels to appropriate levels, thereby allowing other hormones to be secreted properly. So think of your hormone system a little bit like an assembly line. You can only produce so many things at a certain times. And if you're overproducing one type of hormone, and in this case it's cortisol, um, and, and we'll talk about why you might overproduce that in a second, but if you're overproducing that your body uh, does not have the opportunity. To basically produce other hormones or produce them in the right or correct ratios, I should say. Okay, so um, the rebalance system starts in the morning with an it's it's, it's uh, called Energize an Energize uh, uh, type product, and it is a combination of several d- different herbs and natural products which work together to help start to control your cortisol levels throughout the day so when you wake up in the morning as i mentioned the first 20 minutes 15 minutes you get a huge surge of cortisol it's super important you don't want to maintain that huge surge of cortisol the whole day that is not what you want so this uh, energized product gets you going in the morning and then starts to tamper down the levels throughout the day in the late afternoon, early evening, there's a, the second product is called Relax, and that further lowers the cortisol levels because you want actually really low cortisol levels by the time you go to sleep. Again, it gives your body a chance to produce more hormones and to, uh, and to kind of re- rebalance literally throughout the night. And then the, the third product in the system, um, the third lozenge is called Dreamcatcher, and for obvious reasons, it helps with sleep. And I really like to almost describe these products uh, these, the, in the three products in the system. I like to, to really describe them in reverse because I think people need to focus more on the sleep part and what happens at night to help rebalance your hormones. So if you think about the dream catcher as almost being you know, the, the number one product, you take that at night, it helps you sleep, it helps you maintain sleep. It has things like ashwagandha and melatonin in it that are proven to help with sleep and the appropriate stages of sleep. Your hormones get secreted, again, growth hormone only at night. Um, other hormones get rebalanced. And then you wake up and you start that process again. That's really what the rebalance system is about.
0: Yeah. I think that's really a a really smart way to look at it, which is backing into sleep first yeah, and then saying, okay, how do I back out and do everything right to make that happen? So like not have, you know, caffeine too late in the day, like all the things that we can do because I, I personally have never been a great sleeper, and that's what I have also really appreciated about the product. It, it has helped me sort of wind down and and get into that better state, certainly easier. Right. And uh, I, I I find it very very helpful, and I also really appreciate because I am a believer. If certain things have been around for a really long time,
1: there's yes. probably a reason. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah. You, you You're know, totally and so. Right
0: you know, certain of the, the, these ingredients are very old, you know? So I, I really appreciate that it was like, and here it is. I, I would say I, I, I do drink coffee in the morning. So I actually use the morning one after my coffee, especially if I'm on the go, because it is, it is minty. And, and, um, you just, like you said, you have to let it, you have to let it happen though. Yes. I want to really go back to things that can disrupt our hormones. So we okay. I mean there's the things that are out of our control. There's the air, the water, the plastics, like it goes on and on. And I think people get overwhelmed with that and that at times make them makes them almost not do anything. So if someone was going to come to you and and you said, "Hey, in in the in the times that you can really sort of do the best that you can, where would you say some of the major landmines are?
1: Yeah, well, let's, let's sort of take it from the big picture and move down a little more microscopically. So I think um, one of the things that you uh, asked me about before in terms of hormone disruptors is, is food, right? And food um, is a key you know, hormone disruptor. Again, it might increase percent body fat, throws off your microbiome of your gut, and all sorts of other potential problems we mentioned sleep again again you're at, like these are the big picture things food and sleep are major hormone disruptors percent body fat versus lean body mass a higher percent body fat is a huge hormone disruptor and those are the things that from sort of my standpoint are very fixable things okay those are things that we can address and again, when you know we were just talking about the um, rebalanced system, I mean the studies show that as we control the cortisol. We get a boost in testosterone, we get a boost of estradiol, uh, to the point where several women who are having menopausal symptoms uh, have, have stated that they did, are, are not having those anymore. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process of doing further testing, but with a combination of appropriate supplementation, appropriate nutrition, appropriate exercise, um, and appropriate sleep, i think we can kind of tick off several of the big hormone disrupting factors then you mentioned you know there are these other things right there's like you know dioxins in the water and there's lead and arsenic and bpa you know uh, bisphenol a and Mm -hmm. different things that they're taking and removing and i'm sure there's a bunch more chemicals those are a little harder to you know those aren't the low hanging fruit right i mean sometimes you're just exposed to that because of where you live sometimes where you work but the bottom line is i think the controllable hormone disruptors uh, we can do a lot about
0: so with young people it's really like saying hey let's get in that preventative mode maybe get your blood yeah. work done take a look under the hood get an indication and then as you get older are, are we saying 35 40 start to get your blood work done there like once a year kind of thing just to see because i think there's also something interesting where if you make a lifestyle change um and you see a drastic shift in your health yeah uh good or bad it's sort of an interesting thing to be able to catch it quickly or continue yeah. on if it's the good change um do you think right. if, yeah. if if we went back 50 years and we took I just turned fifty three. Let's say, mm-hmm. or let's say, let's go back a hundred years, actually, because they were doing weird stuff fifty years ago. Um, <laughs> do you think menopause was meant to kick your ass the way it seems to be kicking people's ass the, now as much? Do you think it was that brutal for people who were sort of simpler life, harder? Granted, um, right. but you know, the food wasn't. You weren't navigating some of the landmines that we have in modern life. Do you think exactly. that menopause was if we survived that long do you, do you think it was something you just sort of more went through more naturally than we are now
1: I, you know, I definitely do. And again, maybe because a hundred years ago they were tougher, you know, and didn't complain, like you know, and who knows. But there's always that component. But I think you sort of hit the nail on the head, which is that the, their their options for food back then did not really include, you know, all of these processed foods, all of these, you know, chemicals in our dairy, and a lot of. Those, what, what you're referring to as hor- hormone disruptors, uh, were not present. They weren't available. It wasn't an option. Um, they also spent a lot less time sitting, you know, behind a desk all day, for example, right? There was much more manual labor. They had much less obesity. You know, the average male and female back then, if you look at their weight, they were much slimmer from a body mass index standpoint. So that obviously played, it plays into it also. And maybe the stress was less, you know, we talked about cortisol before, emotional stress, in addition to physiologic stress, like if you get sick, cortisol needs to go up to help you heal. But emotional stress can just keeps cortisol up for all the time. It's almost like Your cortisol system is burning out the rest of you in that sense. You're not producing appropriate hormones. So absolutely. I think they probably had less stress in a lot of ways back then, less to worry about. And it probably was less of a, less of an issue. That's my best guess.
0: Yeah. And they didn't have a lot of snacks and 700 types of drinks in the, in the fridge, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You need a separate fridge in the garage for the, you know, beverage selection. Yeah.
0: Before we move on, I I just want to ask, do you have a B12 lozenge that you have found that you really like that has high quality and good absorption if people are interested in trying to find one?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And B12 is a super important supplement because as we get older it affects several things but one of the things that it affects is your neurologic system so it can help people with balance issues and it can help people um, who are very athletic getting older the second thing i would mention is almost everyone i guarantee you has a low b12 level unless they're supplementing properly if they're over the age of 40 because like i said you really don't absorb it very well even if you eat beautiful you know greens and leafy vegetables all those things and the other thing about it is that it's one of the essential nutrients for hormone balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so B, B vitamins in general, B6, B12, biotin, those are important for hormone balance. And they're also water soluble, so you can't take too much. You know, you can't like overdose on them. So, so the one I recommend, um, there are a couple different supplement companies that are well vetted, basically. Um, There's one called uh, Douglas Laboratories that has a good sublingual B12. Pure Encapsulations is another one that's quite good. Um, So I don't really,
0: um, I I only care
1: about if if it's a pure product or not.
0: Yeah. I just like to give people a few options because they'll hear this and they'll think, and then they'll go try to look for something and nobody ever really knows, like, is this good? Is that good? So so right. thank you for that. Can we go back very quickly and sure. talk about um, actually birth control? Because yes. young women, they get put on it. And a lot of times you'll hear, they'll say, oh, well, this is going to help your cycle, right? Like the doctors will put them on to help their cycle. But I, I mean, is there any greater sort of disruptor than birth control? And then what would we do? as an alternative if we have a you know a young adult daughter who's you know off, off to the races and has a boyfriend and whatever because i it's a really con- it's kind of a conundrum at that point for a lot of people
1: sure Yeah. Well, the first thing I think is to sort of understand that the the birth control pills, what you're talking about. They're generally hormone pills and most of them are estradiol um, and progesterone. So they're an estrogen and progesterone sort of combination. Some of them are pure progesterone. You know, there's a few different variations, but in general, what they're doing is creating a ratio of hormones in your body, which is sort of faking your body out as if you're pregnant. That's kind of the bottom line. So you don't ovulate, you don't, have, you, know, you don't have any eggs to be fertilized. Now, there are studies, and women are on these for years and years and years and years and years, and most of these are synthetic um, hormone products. And if you're asking me what I would do if I had a daughter or how I recommended my patients, if it's really for birth control purposes, there are probably some better options, which are like IUDs. Um, or other types of methods i think hormone methods in the long run can tend to cause a problem after 15 or 20 years on hormones and that used to be common If you're asking me, would I recommend hormones to regulate a cycle, for example, because it was inconvenient or something and had nothing to do with uh, protection from uh, becoming pregnant, then I would 100% stay away from the synthetic hormones. Um, Again, there are natural ways to do that. You have to look at percent body fat you have to look at the nutrition you have to look at the hormone disruptors you have to then um you know consider using supplementation you know like the rebalance system to potentially help them rebalance estrogen uh progesterone testosterone so the long and the short of it is each case would have to be taken separately but it's not my go-to for sure
0: okay I come to you. Um, I'm going, I'm, I'm middle-aged and I'm saying, Hey, listen, I'm just trying to continue to increase my quality of life, my energy. I'm going, you do my blood work. I'm a male or a female. And, um, it, it looks like it would be a good idea to supplement. I'm at a certain age where that's just what's happening. What are the options that you like? And I know everyone is different. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause you'll say people, people will say, Oh, do I do the pellets? Do I do the cream? Um, is it, where do you tend to move? seems, you know, feels good to you or that you in your practice, you that works for you that you like.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I think, the So what, what you're, uh, I think, really asking about is sort of prescription-based hormone replacement therapy in a way. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I do, based on that big lab panel that I referenced earlier, I really determine where the levels are and how far out of a range uh, that I want them in. Remember also that the range is different for you. And it's different for uh, you at age 75, and it's different for you at age 20, right? So in the end, what we have to do is make an appropriate lab range for where your hormones should be. And it's not always the lab range. That's in the, um, right. it's not always the lab range, you know, that's in the general lab. Like, you know, I don't want to name labs, I guess, but whatever lab you go to. So what we do is we pick that point. Then the next thing I do is I say, what's the safest way we can do it? Cause we're all always talking about sort of a cost benefit analysis, right? Um, it's like when you're talking about with your kids before the benefit of teaching them how to eat properly, you know, the cost is, well, if you don't track them when they're out, they might have soda and, you know, fast food but that's okay because 95% of the time they're eating well. So I make cost-benefit analyses, and the first thing I start with is a natural uh, type of treatment. So we would start with supplementation almost always unless something was really wacky. Again, I mentioned the uh, rebalance health system before. That's a good place to start. Then there are other specific things that I would hone in on. Some of the vitamins I mentioned that are important for hormone um, imbalance you know, it would be like vitamin D three, vitamin B six, uh, omega fish oils, uh, DHEA, vitamin C. Mm-hmm. So I would work there, and then I would see how they're doing. We would change some lifestyle things, and I check in with them really frequently, like every two months, maybe or three months. We repeat parts of the blood panel to see what we've affected, and we check in with them clinically. How are you doing? Do you feel better? Do you not? Whatever. Eventually, I might need to work up to prescription hormone replacement. And then I usually do what's called bioidentical hormone replacement. So my my, uh, hormone replacement strategy is with plant-based hormones. Like, um, for example, my testosterone is made from either yams or peanuts and the same with the estradiol. So we get... um, Plant based. And then in the delivery method, as I mentioned before, where the rebalance is a lozenge, uh, our delivery method um, for some of the hormones is frequently creams. And that's been shown to decrease some of the risks with estrogen, like for blood clots and other things. So I use the safest possible modalities. And then I target a specific blood level. So I don't just slap a cream on you and say, have a nice day, come back in a year. We then check the blood levels again. We see how you're feeling until we hone in on kind of the right place for you to be. And everyone's a little bit different, but we kind of hone in on that. So that's really where I start with bioidentical creams. And rarely, if ever, do I go to synthetic hormones or birth control type pills or anything, unless there's something really unusual.
0: What about peptides? Do you ever use any peptides that help the body sort of kick the certain parts of the body in gear a little bit that will produce some of those hormones?
1: yes there there are certain peptides um that will help to stimulate for example um uh human growth hormone right. uh, somorlin is a is a peptide that helps to promote that and i do use those if needed again once I, uh, another one is uh, HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin. So you can give that to someone to help stimulate testosterone production in the testes, for example, as opposed to giving them testosterone. So it gets more and more complicated. And I do use peptides if needed, but you really have to do it stepwise because everything you add, every layer... Increases a potential risk or a potential side effect, so I'm pretty conservative. It only takes a few months really to get it sorted out perfectly, and sometimes a few weeks. But it's really not like you come in, boom, this dose, one size fits all. Have a nice day. That's not how this hormone stuff can be done.
0: Yeah, and I, that's why I I wanted to bring it up because I think people have to realize that you just you can't go straight to a certain destination. You have to take all the steps, check yourself, check how your body responds, uh, that, right. that it really is such a symphony of things. Really quickly, testosterone, because I think men are, lo- you know, they always, we joke, you know, it's like, oh, testosterone. You know, they, <laughs> if you just say that word, it's like saying naked, you know, sex, They're like, right? right. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yay. Um, but yeah. I also think women, as we get older, we should also be positively concerned with testosterone for ourselves as well. I mean, it's a, it's a great hormone, but I was listening, um, to something recently and I just would love to get your take on it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was with, um, uh, Sapolsky, you know, Robert Sapolsky. And Mm -hmm. he was talking about actually that people are like testosterone makes you aggressive. And he's like, it is a much more nuanced hormone than that. And that it really is an amplifier of, uh, things, not necessarily like well, you're gonna be bold and aggressive. Right. So um, in the case he was talking about that Reese monkey study where they had the five yeah. monkeys and they gave it to yeah. the number three in line, and he didn't yes. become more aggressive to one and two, but he did to four and five. Right. Maybe you know, because I think people have this, they don't really understand what it what a like a sort of a subtle or nuanced hormone testosterone is. And you talked about like how everything it's all in relationship to the other. So it's also in relationship to estrogen and progesterone and that like libido isn't just about testosterone.
1: Yeah, totally, totally right on the mark. So I think part of this testosterone rage thing, so this comes from like the old school roid rage, steroid rage, right? This is like in the days of, um, you know, the gym guys who would like shoot, 80 gallons of testosterone. I don't even know how much, you know, and they're monstrous people. And um, absolutely, those people had sort of a reputation of being uh, irritable, to say the least. So it kind of developed this bad name. But I agree with what you're saying now completely. We're using subtle amounts. And more importantly, I'm using targeted amounts. So I am targeting a specific range in the blood i've never had one patient or a patient's wife or patient's husband or anyone call me and say i am going crazy i'm yelling and screaming everyone i'm raging it never has happened to me and i've been doing this 20 some years now and what it really what people really notice in fact is the opposite testosterone tends to we call it in the literature improve their sense of well-being so if you can take someone that makes you makes you a li- something that makes you a little less depressed um, something that can help your body composition you lose some percent body fat you feel better in the gym yeah it's true you can have some better libido with it along with the other hormones because for example estrogen is very important for women for libido and sexual function and and, and those sorts of things so yeah it's kind of hitting the sweet spot gabby it's mm-hmm. not like overshooting the mark. And I think that's the key to doing it kind of scientifically, but you're totally right. It doesn't have to be like that. And and women, it's a big miss in hormone replacement therapy um, to not consider testosterone in women. It's at about 10% of the total dose as in men, but it's super important for many of the same reasons. And it really helps women feel better while they're doing exercise, you know, and feels less stress actually.
0: Yeah. And I, I really appreciate you saying that. Cause I think sometimes we get so like bucketed, like estrogen and speaking of that, conversely, I would love to ask you, um, there has been, you know, information out there saying that estrogen can help you with your cognitive intelligence. And so are there times that men want to take a look at that as well? I, I just, I just had heard a little bit about it, but I, I, I would, I just wanted to talk about it a little bit more.
1: The, the way that sometimes I explain it to people is um, kind of the opposite, Where whereas um, this concept of, quote, brain fog or mm-hmm. lack of cognition or difficulty concentrating, those are some of the symptoms that you might look for if your estrogen or estradiol, which is one type of estrogen level, is too low. So if someone comes into me with those sorts of symptoms, I do absolutely, uh, like a female, give them, uh, consider doing, again, natural ways to boost estradiol, decrease cortisol to help with the other hormones. Mm -hmm. But then if it comes to it, they get, you know, a bioidentical estradiol cream of some sort. With men, it's very interesting um, because- I'd
0: love love to hear that conversation that, you know- big Joe comes in and you're like, you know, you need a little estrogen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good news is I don't have to have that conversation because they all want more testosterone, right? So as I normalize testosterone, there's a natural, um, an enzyme, which is called aromatase that converts testosterone to estradiol. So they naturally get some more estradiol and it does help with brain fog. And I let that estrogen level run higher in patients who are, for example, um, have some like early Alzheimer's kinds of changes or some short-term memory kinds of changes. Absolutely. Um, there's, even, there's even data about progesterone in men and some data with prostate cancer protection and other things. So the, the big picture is we share hormones. M- men produce the same hormones as women, just at different levels uh, than women tend to produce them.
0: And is it, is it possible to do the supplementation of testosterone and not beca- get m- bald? balding impact hair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
1: Because it's really simple, actually, because again, it it comes down to like knowing the science, right? So the reason the men have balding problems, or for example, women start to grow a mustache if they're on too much testosterone or something, that all has to to do with a, a hormone called DHT, dihydrotestosterone. So again, like in my hormone panel, that's one of the hormones I measure to make sure that you're not bumping your DHT up too high if you're on a replacement of testosterone and that's uh, essentially DHT only causes large prostates and um uh, hair in women and uh, no hair in men and all the bad stuff so we really just kind of watch all that
0: so what I, what i what i am hearing though is still being conservative even within this pursuit and that realizing that everyone is different but that it it's sort of never too early to kind of just keep knowing where your own levels are at is there is there sort of a, an ultimate myth or mistake you see a men or women or individually doing like that over and over they come to your office and you, and the myth is, is there something that you go, oh, this is like one of the most common mistakes people are making?
1: Well, I think, you know, the, the, one of the most common mistakes people make, honestly, that affects all this stuff really has to do with sort of nutrition and sleep. And that's sort of tied into, in a lot of cases, too much um, alcohol consumption also, which can really kind of mess up your sleep, you know, and can also mess up your hormones and increase percent body fat and decrease your ability to turn down, you know, cookies, cakes and candies, and it sort of disinhibits you and all those things. So I would, I would uh, have high on the list, uh, too, too, too much alcohol um, leading to poor sleep, etc. I would also say that people don't start early enough to address hormone issues. Like we mentioned, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, well, they may not have symptoms yet. But it doesn't mean it's not a good time to you know use a a system like the rebalance system for example to help control stress levels help control your cortisol levels help improve your sleep so moving forward your hormone uh, system just remains more in balance again it's like a preventative strategy as opposed to you come to me and you say okay i'm way overweight i you know i can't lift two pounds i'm breathing heavy walking up the stairs you know then we have a lot of work to do as opposed to you know, people, your daughter's age are saying, you know, we should start to regulate this stuff for my kid's age in their twenties. Yeah.
0: Pe- Nobody loves the alcohol comment, doc. They well, all, it's every- an, oh,
1: I know it's, it, I hate to say it though. It's a real sleep disruptor and a real hormone disruptor.
0: Yeah. And it's everywhere. And it's part of our people's rituals. It's, it, it kind of is amazing to me. Okay. And, and, in finishing this up, really quickly, you mentioned soy, because a, a lot of people are um, avoiding, like we have whole raw butter and milk when we can get it, but otherwise we don't really have too much dairy. And then people who are lactose and, you know, it, because our milk isn't good, it's, it's pasteurized, homogenized. It's, you know, so a lot of people are saying, Hey, alternative, but you're saying, remember how soy milk, how amazing everybody was like soy milk. Yeah. Um, where would you direct people if they go, Hey, I don't eat dairy, um, or for their kids. The The problem is, sorry, I, I'm rambling, but the problem that's is okay. I yeah. see a lot of the non-dairy, I mean, I don't even know really why we need to have drink, drink it as adults, but right is, um, I mean, do you still eat cereal? I don't, I mean, we shouldn't eat cereal no, either. I, I,
1: well, I think, <laughs> I think that's a really perfect comment. Like, I, I don't think there's any evidence anywhere. That yeah. says we should be drinking a glass of milk each day. That's
0: dope, right. And we know we shouldn't be eating cereal. So I guess it's game over, but let's say, because right. we're not telling yeah. anyone what to do, that they want to have something other than uh, milk and it's not soy. Where would you kind of say, Hey, head that way.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I think, I guess the first thing, this is an opportunity for me to say that people do not drink enough water, period, end of story. So I guess the first thing I would say in sort of a facetious way is whenever you think about uh, milk or whatever, think about having a glass of water or something. Okay. Having said that, you just have to be careful about some of these, I guess let's call them milk substitutes or whatever, that a lot of them are too high in sugar and too high in fat. So you just have to kind of watch those. Almond uh, milk products that are non-sweetened are, are quite good. Um, oat milk products are, are quite Quite good, so it really has to do with reading the label again, not getting into that kind of high sugar. If I use the term glycemic index, it means you know how rapidly your your blood sugar is spiked, you don't want to keep spiking your blood sugar all day.
0: No. And then in 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 wrapping it up, um, Dr. Dorfman, you you have a lot of amf- answers. You have a lot of information. and I'm always curious on the people who really know, um, where their hurdles are and how they put systems in place to manage that. I would imagine for you, it's probably stress and sleep because you're probably a busy guy, but I'm just curious.
1: Well, I mean, I think I'm, you know, I struggle with all of the same things that everyone else does, I'm sure. Um, I'm fortunate that I live in Boulder because there's a lot of peer pressure to look fit and be healthy. I have no choice, right? Period. That's just how it rolls. Um, But having said that, you know, um, you're right. I manage, you know, I like to have uh, wine once in a while and those things. So I have to manage alcohol just like everyone else. And make sure it's not in abundance and not too frequently i have to manage sleep which is probably my, one of my my biggest hurdles and it's interesting when i first started taking the uh rebalance health system that is number one by far The thing that helped me the most was to get because I I use a sleep tracking device Mm -hmm. and um, which I think are really good for people. That was something I meant to mention. You know, some of these tracking devices for exercise and sleep really do help people focus on uh, fixing problems. But I started to use the rebalance system and then my sleep got much, much deeper. So I spent more time in deep sleep and I stopped waking up in the middle of the night. So that was a huge thing um but i have to do all the other stuff i can't use my computer before bed and i you know all all that stuff and the exercise fortunately i grew up loving to exercise again this was like a parent thing my dad exercised every day of his life even though he was in you know he, he, he it was not the era where people did that so i've really enjoyed playing sports and exercising my whole life so i still like i'm really i think it's a fun part of my life so that's not a struggle Um, And the nutrition stuff, you know, I love to cook. So I tend to buy um, or my wife buys, you know, healthful foods and we try and not have a bunch of processed stuff around. So if we do have a glass of wine, I don't start eating potato chips.
0: Right. And do you have any decompressing practice at all? Or is it just you, you use exercise to kind of blow it out? Um, I, I do have a couple, I guess, decompressing, uh,
1: practices. Um, but it, it has a lot to do with hiking and exercise and being outdoors. Be um, like here in our beautiful mountains, I do a lot of, uh, skate skiing, uh, cross country skate skiing. So I can, you know, 30 minutes away from me is 10,000 foot, beautiful snow skate skiing. So that's, not just exercise. It's obviously very relaxing. It's obviously really good for my brain. My phone is off because I don't get reception up there. And, you know, everything seems to kind of settle down for me. So it's a combination of exercise and outdoor time. Um, and, you know, other things I like doing cooking, being with my family, those sorts of things.
0: Well, Dr. Dorfman, I'm I'm so glad I got to meet you and and to learn more about, you know, the thinking behind rebalance. And for people who were listening about this and are curious about the product, I do giveaways a couple times a month of the product. Um, there is a formulation for males and for females. I think that's also important is that because we are different and, um, you yes, know, have different absolutely. hormones and, uh, people can go to rebalancehealth.com if they, if they want to learn more or follow me. And I, like I said, I, I, they're really kind in supporting me and wanting to give it away for, to have people try it. And then maybe you could just, because. You know, people will hear this and think, well, "Does anyone ha- ever have the opportunity to do? Do you do telemedicine or anything like that?"
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have. I have a, um, a a private practice, and I'm available for you know, if you just want to consult for a half hour, an hour, or if you want me to manage everything. I've patients all across the country, but I think the key uh, to to this is, as I mentioned, this sort of stepwise approach, and even if a patient doesn't want to go to their doc, or doesn't want to, um, for example, spend money, or you know, on lab draws and those things. I think starting with appropriate supplementation. Um, I mentioned some of the different vitamins yep. D, C, B's, and the rebalance system. Those are good ways to kind of get started. But I'd be more than happy to help anyone that wants help. Can you direct people
0: exactly where they can find you?
1: Sure. My name uh, is written on the screen, I believe, but it's uh, Dorfman, D-O-R-F-M-A-N. And um, I can be uh, contacted through Sedalian, C-E-D-A-L-I-O-N, health.com and rebalancehealth.com. And those would be my two best contacts.
0: And, And we'll put it in the show notes as well. I have one last question and it just occurred to me. It's probably selfish. Sure let's say someone's pretty healthy, they've paid attention to their blood work. Is it is it safe to say that the chances of them falling off a hormone cliff when they turn middle-aged is pretty slim or, or do you ever see it?
1: I definitely see, see it because there are many reasons for, you know, quote, falling off a hormone cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, you can do everything right um, in terms of, you know, exercise, And nutrition and sleep and those things and it it, it's very likely that you still may need some either natural uh supplementation to help with hormones as you get older or even eventually some sort some level of hormone replacement therapy i think the key to your question though gabby is that not enough people are looking right so i think it's not common for you to go to a doc and get like a big hormone panel, like I might do, because in the end, it's not often part of kind of a yearly screening or anything like that. So I think it's kind of, in a lot of ways, it's incredibly important for health moving forward, for longevity and health span. It's incredibly important for preventing disease, yet not enough people are kind of looking for it, at least at this juncture.
0: Okay. And what would be one reason someone would fall off a hormone cliff? Just out of
1: curiosity, oh, uh, just, just for example, uh, let's just pick stress, too much cortisol. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people can just, just, it's a type of thing where it just slowly builds and slowly builds and people don't even realize how much stress and how crazy their cortisol levels are. And therefore just throwing off the, the other hormones that could definitely be a cliff in that sense. Um, someone could have, um, other medical type issues where their ovaries just sort of aren't responding to any of the signals from the brain or the brain isn't sending any signals to the ovaries in, in your case or testes and men or whatever.
0: Right. Well, Dr. Dorfman, thank you for your time. And, um, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I, I really appreciate the work that, uh, rebalance is doing because I, myself, like I said, I haven't slept I'm not a great sleeper. I think uh, you know. It's, I call it mind grind in the middle of the night, and um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that's unique of people who are trying to do their best, and and I even know better. And um, I have seen not only an improvement, but uh, just an improvement, like we said in that back end part of the conversation. So, so thank you for joining yes. me today.
1: Yes, it's been a real pleasure, and uh, uh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you wanna learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death